So, this morning, I want to share a special standalone message, not part of a series, and it's entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? And starting next week, we'll actually kick off a new series um, in the book of Psalms. So, stay tuned. But today's message will kind of serve as very direct application to us in where we are as a church. And we'll look at where we stand. But most importantly, today we're going to look at where we're headed as well. So I want to begin by looking at Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. I've actually never preached or taught from the book of Ecclesiastes that I can remember. Uh, so this is, this is a new one for me. Um, but it's a very familiar passage. It's often used for encouragement in moments of change. And we just happen to find ourselves in a pretty big moment of change. So in praying for this message, I I felt like this would be very fitting. So let's read the text, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy that you've granted to sinners who have trusted in the work of your Son alone for salvation. We thank you for that freedom that Jesus has purchased for us that we find by being united in him. We thank you for your grace that is at work in our lives and really just at work in this church Uh, as a whole, as we're going through this new season. I thank you for what Grace Life has been founded upon, which is the gospel. And I just ask that you would give us vision in the coming days uh, for how to continue to build on that foundation. I ask that you would open our ears to hear this morning and that you would speak to us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're not going to spend a great deal of time in the book of Ecclesiastes, but I do want to unpack a little bit about this passage here. Now, humanity craves purpose. In 2002, pastor and author Rick Warren wrote the popular book, The Purpose Driven Life. And according to both the author and the publisher, Simon & Schuster, 50 million copies in more than 85 languages have been sold by the year 2020. Now, I'm not promoting this book, nor am I criticizing it. I just brought it up to show you that people are searching for purpose. 50 million copies of one book is a lot, of, a lot of books sold. But at the same time, we're faced with a culture that rejects the existence of uh, God, the existence of a personal God. They reject the idea of absolute truth. But most importantly, they reject the truth of our need for salvation in Christ alone. R.C. Sproul writes, In personal reality, cannot give anything meaning and purpose. By definition, purpose is the property of personal design. 
Well, many people believe Solomon is the author of this book, Ecclesiastes, uh, though he never mentions himself by name. And uh, God had granted Solomon wisdom beyond what could be compared in, in his day and, and maybe even ever in humanity. Uh, but he points us to the fact that there is purpose because God has ordained there to be purpose in his creation by sovereignly acting in all things. He writes in verse 1, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. In this verse, Solomon shows us that the things that he actually wrote about in chapter 2, which we're not going to dig into, uh, but he wrote about such things as wealth, success, wisdom, happiness, and more. All of these things are not in the hands of man, but in the hands of God. That all of life is in God's hands alone. Everything that happens has its appointed season, and everything that happens happens for God's reasons. Because of this, we can rest assured that any event that happens in our life is not meaningless, even when we can't understand why. There is indeed a purpose. This list of 24 events, and yes, I had to count them, shows us that seasons are normal. Life is full of change, and that is ultimately to be expected. We don't get to just kind of coast through life and just hope that everything remains the same year after year after year. It actually would be a pretty boring life if that was the case. Life is full of change. We see this in this list here of these 24 things, life and death. Planting and pulling up what has been planted. Weeping and laughter. Keeping and letting go. Tearing and sowing, and much more. In all of it, we see a pattern. Nothing in life is exempt from change except for God and his word. His, in seasons of change, like we're experiencing right now, we can stand firmly on the word of God, knowing that God does not change. We have that assurance. Now, I do want to speak specifically to what we're experiencing right now as a church. We are experiencing a big transition. Maybe you've asked the question that I've used for this message's title, where do we go from here? You know, as Derek moves on, it may feel like we're experiencing you know, a number of the things that Solomon wrote about here in this list. Maybe we feel like we're experiencing them all at once. It's weird how emotions can work that way. We can feel both excitement and grieve at the same time. Friends leaving always feels a little bit like death. It can be very sad. You know, when I moved up here, when my family moved up here in 2017, I think it was probably for about a solid year that I continued to work through the emotions of leaving behind all of our family, our friends, everything that we had known. You know, I, I lived in Louisiana for 15, 15 years. Get it out eventually here. Chanel was born and raised in Louisiana. Olive was born in Louisiana. So when we left, there was a period of time where it really felt like we were grieving a lot of the things that we left behind, all while being very excited to be up here. It's weird how emotions can kind of weave together like that. And you can go from being like super excited about all the new things and all the relationships that you're building, and at the same time, 
kind of even grieve over what had been. As a church, Grace Life has been a church plant. Um, I, I think we can safely say now in our 11th year that we are an existing church. I think at some point that transitions. Um, but ultimately, we were and are a church plant. And even Derek and his family were planted here themselves, not just the church. But God has now plucked them up to plant them elsewhere. In fact, God has planted all of us here. In verse 2, when Solomon speaks of plucking up, some believe that Solomon is referring to when plants are moved elsewhere to make room for a new agricultural work or project. And often... Um, in landscaping, you know, you might, you might have a tree and decide, you know, and by the way, I'm not a landscaping person anyway, so I have no idea if this is legitimately true, but, you know, you, you might move it and put something else there. I mean, I've seen people do that, so I assume it to be true. Um, you know, Chanel doesn't really let me near plants for some reason. I think I usually end up killing them. Um, but I think that we can say that right now what God is doing here at Grace Life in this transition is that God is beginning an agricultural project both at Grace Life here in Avon and in Clarksville. And the plan is to make more disciples, to plant some more people. In order to do that, he plucked up Derek and his family and moved them where they can bear more fruit and also so that we might bear more fruit. It's, it's a unique way that God works, that sometimes he takes and moves in order to cause more growth in both places. Solomon also mentions um, the idea of weeping and laughter, mourning and dancing. And as I mentioned, sometimes you feel those emotions all at once. It's okay to feel the emotion of what's transpiring. It's okay to grieve during this new season And it's okay to feel excited about what God is doing. Don't feel like you have to process this quickly. You can process this change in your own time. God is with you. God is near to you in this. And it's okay to feel the emotion of what's gone on. It's okay to feel sad about this. And it's okay to feel excited about it. But let us remember that God knows what he is doing in all of this. He indeed does have a plan. And in the midst of it, I just want to encourage you to trust God and to lift your gaze higher than maybe what you can see right in front of us. Look to what he is accomplishing. Remember these truths, these promises from his word. In Job 42 and verse 2, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In Ephesians 1 and verse 11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So God has a plan, and he works all things according to his counsel of his will, and none of his purposes can be thwarted. For grace life right now, the seasons are changing. And as someone who spent 15 years in Louisiana, where there were only two seasons, hot and melt your flesh off. I love living in an area where there's at least four seasons, sometimes five when we get second winter. You know, it's like the hobbits who enjoy second breakfast. We get to enjoy second winter. Now, seasons are a way to measure time, 
but they're also helpful for us believers as a way to mark and measure what God is doing in our lives. We experience different seasons in our lives. Some are marked by great difficulty and struggle, such as a health crisis or loss. Other seasons are marked by great excitement and newness, like the birth of a baby, and maybe some lack of sleep along with that. But somehow, despite the lack of sleep, you're still excited. Seasons in the physical sense are cyclical and repetitive, most of the time. Summer follows spring, winter follows autumn, second winter follows first spring, and second spring, you know, depending on the year. Now, there may be echoes of these repetitions in life, but life usually is not cyclical. It has a beginning, and it has an end. Life is moving forward towards something. And as our life advances, for those who are believers, we see God's hand guiding our lives. We, we recognize his hand in it as he moves us towards his goal for us. The God of grace has timed all things as he knows best. Now, one of the promises from God's word that gives me hope during this season for grace life is that it's Jesus himself who has promised to build the church. We have seen that God has ordained seasons and times for everything. And I think it's safe to assume that everything includes the building of his church. And so, secondly here, we're going to look at growth. We've looked at seasons. Let's look at growth. What is it, though, first, we'll look at here, that Christ will build his church on? We're going to look at a familiar passage again. We've actually heard from this passage a couple times over the last couple months. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples, to tell no one that he was the Christ. So Jesus and his disciples are walking and talking. As they're walking along, Jesus asks this question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? This title, the Son of Man, is the title that Jesus most commonly used for himself. It's a reference to the book of Daniel, uh, where Daniel in a vision sees one like the Son of Man. That is a vision of Jesus himself. So Jesus usually uses this title for himself. The disciples answer with some of the theories of the day that were going around. Some say John the Baptist, even even Herod had this kind of theory going around that John had been risen from the dead and was now back to haunt him. Others were saying it was other prophets that had maybe risen from the dead, Elijah, Jeremiah. But Jesus digs deeper. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this confession from Peter of who Jesus is was not revealed to him by man. 
definitely wasn't revealed to him by just looking at the appearance of Christ who came as a lowly traveling minister who had no, as Isaiah writes about, no comeliness or no um, appearance that you would think that this guy was, was God. This was revealed by the Father. Now there's much that could be said of this passage, but I want to highlight that it's this confession of Jesus uh, that he is building his church upon. Really, it could be said this way. Jesus is building his church on himself. When the church is on this foundation, then the gates of hell will not prevail. So Jesus tells them not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. And he does this because it was not time yet. Jesus knew that everything happened in its proper time. And he was not going to rouse the anger and malice of the Jewish leaders yet. So Jesus will build his church upon himself, who he is and what he's done. And it's upon this foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that grace life has been built. And we will continue to labor by building upon that foundation, knowing that ultimately it's God who's doing the building. That's kind of a strange dichotomy that we can say we're building and laboring, and yet we know that it's truly God who's doing the work. And we see this very clearly, actually, in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, he writes, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. In the church at Corinth, there was a lot of division and strife over a number of things, but one of the uh, clear divisions that existed in that church where there were different groups of people who were saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And then there was this like really holy group that were like, I'm of Jesus. Like, Jesus is my pastor. Paul writes to them to kind of break through these divisions. And in the, the whole book of 1 Corinthians, it's, it's permeated with gospel um, kind of reinforcement to what Paul had preached when he planted the church at Corinth. But here in chapter 3, He really addresses this division. And he shows us that the men who have planted and preached and pastored were all God's workmen. But it was God who gave the growth. So when it was Paul or when it was Apollos or it was Cephas, who is, that's just another name for Peter. Uh, That guy, that guy had like three names. Talk about confusing. Cephas, Simon, Peter. Whoever it was that was preaching It was actually God that was at work. We are God's workmen. Now, Paul mixes some metaphors, and that can uh, maybe trip us up a little bit, but uh, the idea really is the same. We are both God's field and God's building. So Paul will use agricultural terms, but he's also using building metaphors as well. Um, So, you know, as we move through this, you'll hear me kind of use both interchangeably. But in all of it, we see that it's God who's doing the work. Grace Life, we have a rich heritage. And even though this church is only 11 years old, we have a foundation 
that is standing strong. Derek planted and watered. He built on the foundation of the gospel of grace. And by God's grace, we've grown. And we, the elders and the other brothers who will preach here at Grace Life, will continue to labor and build upon that foundation. We will water the seed and we will continue to plant more seeds. Paul says that we who labor are one. We are God's fellow workers. And so even though in the coming months you're going to see some interchangeable faces from behind the pulpit, you know, I'll, I'll be speaking a couple times a month, Mike will be speaking once a month, and um, then we'll have also a rotation of our other elders and um, some of the guys in the church as well as help from some of the Grace Road guys. Our message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that you will see through the diversity of gifts that we have a, a deep love and passion for the gospel. God is working. He ordains the seasons, and everything that happens happens according to his reasons. None of his plans can be thwarted. The greatest of his plans was that in the fullness of time, Jesus came and took on flesh. He bore the punishment for our sin, and he endured the agony of the cross for us. He died and he was buried. He rose again and appeared to many, and he then ascended to sit at the Father's right hand. And this is the foundation that this church has been built on. And God uh, has given us, through these last 11 years, um, ministers who labor to plant and water. He's given us people who care deeply about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet we all recognize that it's God who has given the growth. We are God's field. We are God's building. And as we grow and are being built by God's plan for us here, we recognize that ultimately his plan for us is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ Paul actually writes about that in Romans 8:29 when he says for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he has as a plan and purpose for the redeemed. That's his plan for us as a church to be conformed into the image of Christ. So we've seen a glimpse of where we've been and we've seen a glimpse of kind of where we are right now, but where is it that we're going? What is the vision for Grace Life in this new season? I want to actually look at the passage that follows uh, right after the verses we just read. 1 Corinthians three ten through 15. It says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We will continue to build on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been laid here at Grace Life. And we will take care how we build. It's good for us to note that these men who labored, um, 
that Paul spoke of in both chapter 1 and chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians were different men. They didn't just share the same giftings. They weren't all like clones of Paul. Paul didn't write, I laid a foundation and someone who's just as gifted as I am and just as amazing of a writer or an orator as I am is building upon it. No, he simply said someone else. God gives gifts to the body, but they are different and unique. And as I said, the guys that you will see here leading this church vary in giftings. God has given us tremendous giftings in this body, not just in the leadership, but in this body. There's tremendous giftings, and I'm grateful that we're not all the same. A body that was just a hundred toes would look really weird. But God supplies everything that we need. So it's good for us to recognize that our giftings are different. But in the midst of that, our heart is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins, and to continue to build grace life on the foundation that has been laid. I want to spend a little bit of time here laying out again what our leadership structure is and what's ahead for us. Grace Life has been led by a team of elders since the beginning. Now, obviously, the faces have changed throughout the years. And as the Lord wills, we can expect change again and again in the life of this church. But that's okay. Because we believe that God works through seasons and he works through various people. He plants and he plucks up again. That's just simply how God works. But as long as we preach the gospel of grace, we'll be okay. As long as we hold fast to his word, we'll be okay. And we'll flourish. We believe the biblical model of eldership is one of plurality. We have used the term lead pastor for Derek, but he was not the only pastor or elder. Currently serving as elders are Jesse and Randy, Nate and myself. Mike Tucker is currently an elder in process, but pending a vote of affirmation from the members, he will be ordained as an elder in the coming weeks as well. Mike Conklin has also recently joined the team as an elder in process. And just so you're aware, we use the term elder most frequently here, but elder, pastor, overseer are all synonymous terms. I would also like to add, this is maybe more of a personal thing, you can continue just to call me Caleb. <laughs> I do serve full-time here on staff now. Um, I handle the day-to-day -day administrative and ministry work, um, and I'm also organizing the preaching schedule and the direction for the sermon series. But I do want to mention the rhythm of my schedule because I've been told by a number of people that I should be clear about that. Um, I, I will be working Sunday through Thursday. I will take Fridays and Saturdays off, but I will definitely respond if there's an emergency. Um, so if you need my cell phone number, come talk to me afterwards. Um, and if there's something that comes up, you know, it, just leave a message or a text message. If I don't respond, I usually get back pretty quick after those, unless Olive is uh, hiding my phone. Mike, Mike Tucker is now on staff in a part-time role, as he mentioned. Um, he'll handle a lot of the care and visitation and discipleship as well, work uh, with me pretty closely. Um, 
I think we're going to try to find a better couch for us to, to work with in the office because neither one of us really sit too well in it. I can't reach the floor, and he can't get up. So uh, that might be our first task. But we also have a tremendous team of deacons and other elders that you're also able to reach out to, and they would be glad to help you with what you need. But we don't want you to feel like just because we're not using the term lead pastor that there's no clear person to speak with. And so if you do have questions or needs or anything else that's just on your heart, you can reach out to Mike or myself. But I also want to encourage very strongly that we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And this is one of the reasons we encourage you to be involved in grace groups. I would encourage you to dig deep into grace groups. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are just as capable of encouraging you in the gospel. And so build those relationships. Dig into the ordinary means of grace. As we move forward, our mission remains the same. As Derek has mentioned many times, we don't get to write our mission. Jesus did that for us. It's to preach the gospel and make disciples. And we carry out this mission through four values that have guided our church. The first value is the gospel. And we accomplish this through the ordinary means of grace, such as gathering for worship and preaching Jesus Christ. Second, through gatherings of all sorts, believers experience life together in loving and relational community. Third, we believe we've been sent on mission to our not-yet-believing neighbors in Avon and the greater Livingston County area to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ. Fourth, God uses the language of family in the gospel. He places the lonely in families, and so we aim to build the family on the foundation of the gospel and to put people in families of fellow believers. Not necessarily speaking of blood relations or even marriage relations, but just doing life together. These four things, gospel, community, mission, and family, make up the four values of grace life. And ultimately, the vision for the future of grace life is pretty simple. It's to continue to hold fast to the gospel of grace. And as I mentioned earlier, be formed by God into the image of Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. We build on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, believing that anything that is of wood, hay, and straw will be revealed and burned away. We will continue to preach Christ. We will continue to preach the gospel. And let's continue to love each other well. Let's continue to serve one another. Be united in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you have indeed planted us here together. Father, we do thank you for the foundation that has been built at Grace Life. We thank you that it is a strong foundation because it's your Son. We ask, Father, that you would continue to bless this church as we launch into this new season. We ask that you would give us wisdom and guidance, Father. Father, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, I ask that you would just unite this body as never before. That we would love each other. That we would be patient with one another. That we would serve one another. 
that the fruit of the Spirit would be born in each one of us, Father. Father, I thank you for what you do. I thank you for what you're getting ready to do. And I just entrust it all to you. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.